0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to uh, to John chapter 20. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we do have some on the back table back over there. But feel free to get up and grab one. It's not weird or awkward. Just, just go ahead and grab one. Um, and Or if you just want to throw a hand up in the air, someone can grab one for you as well. Um, John chapter 20 is where we are this morning, and we're going to be taking a look at, at the account of, uh, or at least part of the account of the resurrection in, in John's gospel. We've been spending a lot of time in John's gospel together as a church. If you're, if you're visiting with us, we've been spending a lot of time in John's gospel. We've actually been looking at seven I am statements that Jesus makes. Um, and we've looked at five. We've looked at five so far, but but we're going to John's gospel because because it's giving us a nice sort of a dovetail into, even into resurrection Sunday. The last... Last week, we obviously talked about the triumphal entry and Jesus riding into uh, Jerusalem as, as, a, as a conquering king, or what the people perceived to be a conquering king, although uh, when, when they shouted Hosanna, and when they quoted Psalm 118, when they shouted Hosanna, they were actually um, they were actually saying, save us, but we as a people who, who operate on this side of the resurrection, as we as a people who operate as those who know Jesus has been raised from the, from the dead, we operate as those who say, salvation has come. And we know that as that, those people, we are participants. As God's people, we are participants in that resurrection. And then one day, we, like Christ, will be raised with him. So that's what we looked at last week. But the week before that, we looked at uh, what Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we talked about what that means. I mean, that means that we can believe if we put our trust and our faith in Jesus. And we believe, repent, and turn from our rebellion and from our sin. That we, that's, that's the access, that's how we have access to God. That's how we know uh, that we can uh, spend eternity with, with God, God the Father. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he, he recognizes, or he's saying that in him, in him, if we put our trust in him, the, the most certain object of trust that there is that we then can participate together with Him. We can be set apart as God's people and know Him. So so we're looking this morning then, as we move into Resurrection Sunday, as we move into this this celebration, right? We're celebrating this morning the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a way that that we would not uh, not be able to um, if we had not been set apart by the Spirit of Christ. So move to John chapter 20 with me. And we're actually going to read quite a few verses this morning. Verses uh, 1 through 23. Um, and then we're gonna we're gonna highlight several tensions that we see in this text. Um, just just even as we were like singing, when we sing, we, we we highlight tensions and then there are resolutions to these tensions. The same goes for scripture. When we read the Bible, when we're reading the Old Testament, we sense this this tension. That the people are longing for something. They're longing to be saved. And even, even like we just talk about in Psalm 118, people are saying, save us, save us, save us, and they recognize now that this resolution has come, that Christ has brought about resolution in a way that, that has, had, couldn't have been fathomed, that the people, were there, they, were, they were crying out for, for political political freedom or, or, from, uh, or, or freedom from their sin, as we know that Jesus came to deliver us from. We recognize that the people, that were like, we have to be delivered in this, in this way. And so, uh, let's read this text together this morning. Uh, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 23. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. While it was still dark, and she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and said to them, 'They They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and as they were going to the tomb, the two men were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lined with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in the place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, you have car- Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascended to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has, and that He had said these things to her. So when it was evening, on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and, they, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Let's pray. Lord God, we look this morning at this text as those who understand uh, res- the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this morning that you would open your word to us. Now we recognize that the same word that we hold before us is the very word that spoke everything into creation, everything into existence. Lord God, it is the same word that, that speaks to us now, the same word that, that says to us, that calls out our name. And like Lazarus in the tomb calls to us to, to come forth. Where we pray that this text would impress upon our hearts who you are. And that would affect us, and our affections would be stirred for the person of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. So, as we're looking at this text, sort of the big idea that kind of like lies underneath what's going on here, I'm just going to read this for us. Those who are in Christ have had an encounter with Jesus and say, along with Mary, I have seen the Lord. Those who are in Christ have had an encounter with Jesus and say, along with Mary, I have seen the Lord. And we kind of want to center our our time this morning around that proclamation, I have seen the Lord. And that's going to kind of drive us as we look at some of these tensions and resolutions. So the first tension we want to talk about this morning is, is confusion and understanding. And we see these things going on in this text specifically. There's confusion and then there's understanding. So if you'll look with me, John 20 again, just, just keep, keep, keep right there with me. If we look at verse 13, we see, uh, we see uh, Jesus, uh, or the, the, the men speaking to the two angels in white, in verse 12 it tells us, we see in verse 13 they say, And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and do not know where they laid She She believes that they, they have taken Jesus away they have removed his body. Some, some individual, some person has moved his body out of the tomb. And so there's confusion, right? She's like, if you've taken him away, where, where is he? Like, let me know where he is so I can, so I can take him. And this assumption that, that exists that he is still dead and that, and that someone just, just simply moved him. But then if you look in verse 16, right? If you, if you just flip ahead a couple verses to verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him in, 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 in Hebrew, or, and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. So, so when, when, when she doesn't see what's going on here, there's, there's this revelation that happens, right? He appears to her and, and even asks her these questions. Woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? And when he shows up initially, she thinks that he's the gardener. She thinks he's the gardener. She, he's standing before her. He's standing before her. And she's like, it, she, she assumed that this was just the gardener speaking to her. Until he calls out her name, Mary. And this is our story. To a certain extent, we're we're looking for something in, in this world. We're looking for something, we're looking uh, for our purpose to be addressed. But but we also recognize that there's there's this guilt and this shame that we feel, that, that we're not really sure what's going on, and there's, there's this deep confusion that exists in us. That we we desire to have this sin laden self addressed and the unsatisfied desires um, addressed. And there's this endless pursuit of acceptance that we, we desire. We desire so deeply to be accepted in our world. So the world tells you a couple of different things. The world tells you simply to, to look inside of yourself. right? It tells you to look inside of yourself. But the problem with that is that we as people are sinful. Scripture tells us very, very clearly that we are sinful. And if we look, just look inside of ourselves, we're not going to find any, any good. We're not going to find resolution to this confusion, this tension that we that we're experiencing. Uh, the other thing is we might we might look for it uh, in in just just externals things. Like we we jump from one thing to the next in our world, right? So so like something like material. Like we, we pursue material. It's like if I could just have X, if I could just have y, then I would be happy. I would be fulfilled. It would address this confusion that I feel. Or maybe it's education. Like if I can just acquire enough knowledge, if I can just if I can just know enough about what's going on in my world, if I can have this philosophical understanding of uh, of my life and what, what's going on and why things happen to me, then then I'll be fulfilled and this confusion will be addressed. Um, maybe it's just just something as simple as just like personal affirmation. Just to just to have like your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad just affirm you. Because you've never experienced that. And maybe you think that that will address the confusion that you feel in your world. Um, I, okay, so I don't know about you, but there was probably this time in college where I watched a lot of infomercials because it was like super late at night. Um, and, and and a common reoccurring thing that happens in these in these these uh, infomercials is the co- the two words coupled together, life changing. There's like, maybe maybe I'm just a little skeptical, but but you but you look at this lettuce chopper. You look at this lettuce chopper, and they pitch it to you, right? They pitch it to you as, like, this is life-changing. And you see the people, right? They're, like, they're like chopping their lettuce with a traditional knife, and it's flying everywhere. They're, like, oh. And they're just, like, they're, they're I can't believe I just did that. And, like, but and so, like, this lettuce chopper is life-changing. This is going to change your life. Um, or does anyone remember the Flobee? The Flobee? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have one. And that's great. That's amazing. Thank you. Actual, like, co- illustration landing. So what, what happens here is, is they say, okay, so just, if you want the perfect haircut, right? So here it is. Like, here it is. You can, you can do this. And this is going to change your life because you're going to have the perfect haircut in a way that you can have the perfect haircut at home. It was like, my wife is laughing because that's the result of my buzzed head. I, I wanted to have this perfect haircut at home. It, it just it didn't happen. She's like, I'm grateful for your grace in that, that I just said that. But so this morning, like, when, when we're thinking about haircuts and lettuce choppers, we're, we're thinking about things that claim to be life-changing but simply are not. Like, they're just simply not life-changing. And so when we consider Resurrection Sunday, we know that Jesus has conquered the grave. That Jesus rose again physically, historically. We affirm that event happened. We affirm that Jesus rose from the dead physically and that it was a historical event. And maybe you're thinking that this Gardner question, maybe you're thinking that, uh, that this Gardner thing is sort of silly. Like if she saw him standing before her, how would she know? But maybe, maybe, this is, maybe this is directly exactly sort of what's going on in your own life. Like maybe you're hearing questions being asked and maybe you're asking questions and desiring for some of this confusion to be resolved in your life and, and desiring for understanding. But all you're hearing is these, these, these questions and you think they're just silly questions from the gardener. But you're actually hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking directly into your life. And for the, those of us who are in Christ we are all in that position. We were all in the position where we heard these, these silly questions being asked. And then we heard very, very specifically, and maybe not, not audibly, but we heard specifically someone call out to you say, Caleb. And you heard the, the Spirit speak into your heart and speak into your life. And then the confusion that you felt through an understanding of God's Word was that, that, that tension was released. And that's what we see here. When he calls Mary's name, she, he reveals himself to her. And she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And, and, and so, like this morning, if, if that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, if that, if that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, I was just, just offering you this this morning. Like, you being here this morning is not an accident. Like, we believe very strongly that God directs us providentially. What that means is simply that everything that happens in our world has a reason behind it. We hear that said in our societies, and some of, but but we believe that God, with specific intentionality, has brought you here because He's impressing Himself in upon you. He's showing you something about what His nature is. And this is why we believe at Buffalo City Church that that community is so vital and important because those truths need to be impressed upon our hearts regularly. We don't we we in our own selves living our, our individual lives out in an island, like oftentimes we we're just we're incapable of calling those things to mind. But we need people around us who understand gospel truths, living together with gospel intentionality to point us to the cross of Jesus Christ. We need that, and we need it regularly. A God who is sovereign over all things, who created everything with the word of his power, is demonstrating himself to us. In the Word. So this is the first tension that, that is resolved sort of in this text. It takes our confusion and turns it to understanding. And even as we see here in this text, like it is resolved in, in this, short, uh, this short amount of verses, these 23 verses that we read. But this extends all the way back, even like I mentioned at the outset. This extends all the way back to the beginning of time, people feeling confused about purpose, about the understanding of a, who they are and how their sin can be addressed. And Jesus is doing that very specifically, raising from the grave, revealing himself to Mary. Um, And and he's saying, he's saying, I am the the resolution to this tension. So that's the first one, confusion and understanding. The second tension I want to explore just just briefly this morning is clinging to scent. Clinging to scent. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. For I have yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father, and your Father, and my God, and your God. So Jesus like very audibly said, this almost seems like cold, right? Like she's like, oh my gosh, he's here, he's before me, he's standing before me, and she's like thinking, he's like, don't cling to me. What Jesus is saying here, what Jesus is telling us, is like this, the way that things were beforehand is not necessarily the way that things are going to look like now. I'm going to be ascending to my Father. I'm going to be going up and I'm going to be sending, and even we have like this portrayal then of, of Jesus breathing the Spirit upon his disciples, which is sort of a precursor to when we move to Acts 2 and the, the day of Pentecost, where where the Holy Spirit, where the apostles receive the Holy Spirit in power. But but so but so we have this idea, Jesus so saying, stop clinging to me, because there's more to do. There's more to do here and even in the other gospel uh, authors report when 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 Jesus actually ascends to heaven the disciples sort of stand there and look and then some some dudes in white show up and say why are you looking into the sky go do he's commanded you what, what comes next he's commanded you to go and so there's this idea of sentness so look at verse 18 then Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples i have seen the lord And that he he had said these things to her. So Mark even mentioned this earlier. That that the idea then is that there's sentness. That she goes out and bears witness to what she's seen and what has been done. She's like, I have seen the Lord. So she came announcing it. And Mary's sentness was the response to, to actually visibly seeing God the Father. And then look at verse Twenty-one. This is it. So Jesus said to them, this is to his disciples when he appears to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so there's this participation in the work of Jesus that's being given to the disciples. We frequently say this, um, and this is not an original thought. I stole this. What, what God has done in us, he now desires to do through us. So if we're a people who a people who recognize that God has, has granted us a new identity in Jesus, He now is telling us that our identity is to move that outwards. This sentness that we have in Christ is, is one that is a direct response to what he's done for us. So this this is this is sort of to sum that up. Our public practice of resurrection understanding is God-given, gospel-driven. Response: Our public practice of resurrection understanding is God-given, gospel-driven response. We say, along with Mary, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And so our setness is then predicated or, or reliant upon an overflow of resurrection understanding. An overflow of the fact that Jesus has conquered sin and death, that he has called out to us. He has called out our name. And that we know that we participate in that together. as His people. Um, and I just have to say this because I think, I think for a long time we as the church have gotten this wrong. Like our sentness we, we, we've taken it and we've moved it over into a corner rather than considering it part of our identity in Jesus. We've moved it over in this corner and we've called it a program or we've called it a, uh, or a trip. Like, oh, I'm going on a mission trip. But it is, it is the mission of everyone who is in Christ to proclaim what God has done for us in Jesus. It is the mission of everyone who is in Christ to proclaim what God has done for us in Jesus. Um, the, the, consider with me, okay so um, and, and all this means like, that sounds that sounds like a lot of words. that sounds like a lot of stuff, right but but all that means is that we're just willing to tell the story of what God has done for us like, that's all that that means. That's all that that means. Like are we willing to, to speak what God has done for us in our lives? So consider just consider this if you take your Bibles and just go back several chapters to John chapter four. I've just been like marinating in this, this text for, for quite some time. It's John chapter 4, and we have this woman, the Samaritan woman, right? We're familiar with this, this passage. But there's a Samaritan woman. She goes to this well. She goes at noon, which is a problem. So, so Jesus is like hanging out with his disciples, and he's like, hey guys, uh, why don't you go get some food? Okay, he's like, go get food for us. But first of all, that's, that's strange. He's telling his disciples there's 12 of them. He's telling 12 guys to go get their food for 13 people. So, I don't know, like, at the office, like, hey, there's 20 of us, 19 of you should go get food. That, that doesn't make sense. We say, hey, go hit up McDonald's, you two go, and the rest of us will stay here and, and, and work. So, but like, that, that's the idea. But, but Jesus knew that there was something coming, that there was an important interaction that was about to happen, right? An important interaction that was about to happen in John chapter 4. And so this woman shows up at the well at noon, which is problematic, first of all, because we know she's by herself. The women in, in, a, in a town, in this context, would typically go to the well all together in the morning. This is cool out. It's not, it's not crazy hot. Like, it's crazy hot where they were. And so she's like, okay, so, so so, first of all, that's a red flag, social outcast. Like, why is she a social outcast? Well, Jesus, like, confronts her, and they start talking, and, and he's like, hey, you've had multiple husbands, and, and there's this, there the guy that you're living with right now, he's not your husband, and so they start talking about this and going back and forth, and she, she sort of, like, tries to redirect, and he's like, I'm gonna give you the, the water that, that fills you up, and she's like, give me that water now, and, like, all of these different things are going on. And then in verse 27... Uh, we, John records this. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he was speaking with a woman. But we didn't even talk about that. Like, Dudes didn't talk to women in public. So, uh, so we got to this point here. And so Jesus is like breaking down all of these barriers and speaking to her. Uh, At this point, this is verse 27 in chapter 4 of John. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her, her water pot. She didn't even take her water with her. She left her water pot and went to the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out to the city, and they were coming to him. And Then jump down to verse 39. For that city, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him. And they stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. And so her testimony, all she said was like, hey, this guy just told me a bunch of stuff about myself. I don't know how he knew it. Like, and he claims to be, he claims to be the Messiah. And, it, and all she does is just tell her story. That's all she does. And that's what we're being called to. So back in John chapter 20, that's what we're being called to. He's saying, so, so as I have been sent, I also send you to speak your story. This is not complicated. This is not a complicated concept. The gospel calls for a response. And this is, this is part of us getting it backwards. This is part of us taking this and relegating it to a program or relegating it to a, a trip, like mission, uh, relegating it to those things. Part of the thing is we got it backwards is that we think that somewhere contained inside of us, we need to call for that response. But the gospel calls for a response. There is no way that you can hear about the goodness of God through Jesus Christ, that he came and paid a debt that that we owed on our behalf so that we might have access to God the Father. There's no way that, that, that we can hear that message and not respond. Either we respond with hardness of heart and reject it, or we respond positively and trust Christ. And I, just, I heard this incredible story this week, um, and I've known about this person for a while, but, but it didn't really register. Um, her name is Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, but she was this woman who was, who was like heavily postmodern, heavily entrenched, and, and, and just like the, the critical philosophy thinking of the day, very hostile towards Christianity. Very, very hostile towards Christianity to the point that she was she was writing multiple books about slandering Christianity in our culture, and to a certain extent, I sort of understand her perception because because as Christians, like there are a lot of things that we do um, that 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 sort of push the world away, right? That push the world away. Um, so, as part of her research for some of these books, she was like, she was just reading the Bible. Like, what does the Bible say? So she was just reading the Bible, and, and she was engaged by like one of, her, one of her neighbors, just a guy who lived next door to her. It was part of the local church, and he just engaged her, and he just said, he said, hey, I see you reading the Bible, like, what's that about? What are you doing? Like, that seems weird, because I know who you are. And so they started talking, and, and she, um, she just opened up to him. He just invited her to dinner to have dinner with his family. And she said she said that he he just simply engaged her about her work. But he didn't invite her to church. He didn't invite her to do a bunch of things. All he wanted to do was build relationship with this woman. All he did was want to build relationship with Rosaria. Because he knew that he knew that, that was the access point. Like if he just if he just showed up and she was already hostile to Christianity, if he made her a project if he just made her a program for him to engage in, that she would not respond to that. She would not even be willing to hear the gospel because that would just fit the the critical model that she had constructed of what Christianity was in her life. So she said that he told her in their initial meeting that neighborly, neighbor. She just said, "Like, why are you doing this? Why are you just having me over here? Why are not you like, pushing anything on me?" He said, "He said because because as a Christ follower, I'm called to be your neighbor. I'm called to be neighborly in that way. I'm called to love you as Christ loved me." And and so as time went on, he shared the gospel with her, um, and she immediately understood that he didn't view her as this project, but. Um, and this is this is the thing that she said that just blew me away. She immediately understood, even before hearing the gospel, that he viewed her as an image bearer. Like, we affirm that if we are created by God, we bear his image. Everyone is created by God, therefore everyone bears his image. Um, and we need a right relationship with God. And that's what he just communicated to her. He said, you need right relationship with God as an image bearer. That has, that, that, that has been tarnished by sin. And so Rosaria heard the gospel and it transformed her. And she spent time in God's word and, and, and in her words, this is what she said, her neighbor brought the church to her. This is sickness. All her neighbor did was speak the truth about what he knew about in his story, how he had been um, impacted by the gospel. And an encounter with the gospel calls for this response, and she felt that. She felt the burden of the response bearing down on her, not because of what he did, but because of what God was doing in her own heart. An encounter with the gospel calls for response, either you're hardened or it awakes, it transforms you, you confess that Jesus is Lord, that he's the ruling and risen Christ. So, so maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking like, well, that seems like a really narrow approach. Like, that seems like a really narrow approach. Just consider this: like, if you found out like tomorrow that you were that you had cancer and you were dying from it and you had two weeks to live, and then on day ten you recognized that you recognize that there was a cure and someone brought it to you and there was a cure, um, and then and then a family member went through the same thing. Would you not state to them, like, hey, this, is, this worked for me. You should, you should try this. this. This cured me of my cancer. Would you not simply bear witness to the fact that it was cured? That's exactly what's going on here. As it, that's exactly what Rosaria's neighbor was doing for her. He was just saying, hey, there's this cure. All this confusion that you're experiencing, all of this confusion that you're experiencing, that you want resolution for, like, there's a resolution, and it's in Jesus." And it's in Jesus. And he just bore witness to what Jesus had done in his own mind. For the Christ for all are not bearing witness to the cure is the most unloving thing possible. And so that that brings us to sort of this end. It was like our, our clinging and sentness, our sentness then is an overflow of the transformation that has occurred in our life that is rooted in the very person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, okay, so so let's move on. Just, just, just two more things very quickly, and I know I'm, I'm running longer, but um, what the the next tension just simply is this. Orphans to adopt, and I'm just going to read several scripture passages. First of all, just consider verse 17 of John chapter 20 with me again. For Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, right? We just talked about that. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. So where, where we are right now, like, in our culture, like, and, and this might have been a little more popular of maybe like a decade ago, but people would talk like, we're all children of God, right? We're all children of God. But that, that's kind of like, that's kind of like in direct, uh, in, in direct opposition to what Scripture tells us. Because before Christ, we're not. Before Christ, we're not children of God. So let me just read you several passages of Scripture here. This is John 15, 15 and 16. No longer do I call you slaves, presuming that beforehand you we were slaves. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give to you. So slaves and then friends. Romans 5, 10, and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. So once we were enemies, and now we're reconciled. Slave, friend, enemy, reconciled. Colossians 1.21 and although, and this, there's more here. I just didn't write it down. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all the creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made minister. Same idea. Alienated and hostile in mind, but then... Reconciled to God. And then finally, Romans eight fourteen through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to a fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified with Him. So, first we were were slaves, now we were friends, then we were enemies, and we were reconciled. Um, We were alienated and hostile and mind until we were reconciled. We were orphans, and then we were adopted. This is this, this tension being resolved in, in, in verse 17 when he says, My brethren say to them, I ascend to my father and your father. He can now, because of the work on the cross, call those who, to whom he is speaking brothers. That's right. So Jesus purchased our adoption. We are no longer slaves, enemies, or aliens, but sons and daughters of God and co-heirs with Christ in the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so confusion, understanding, clinging, sentness, orphans, adopted, and then finally, this is the big one unawareness to perception. And we'll go quickly here. Verses 9 and 10 in John chapter 20. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, so the disciples went away again to their homes. But their perception was limited to their sight, limited to their sight, right? The perception was limited to their sight. So here's here's the example. You can see something with a uh, with two pointy ears, green eyes, whiskers, and a tail. But if you don't have understanding or have any kind of like rubric or understanding that that's a cat, then then all you see is what you see. And there's no perception. Perception contains understanding that lies beneath it. So consider again that like the Samaritan woman, right in John 4. She says this very clearly to Jesus at one point, I perceive that you are a prophet. So she knew that something was different about Jesus, but she, like the disciples, here in John chapter 20, verses 9 and 10, sensed something, but didn't quite get it. They sensed they saw an empty tomb, but they didn't realize, they didn't have the understanding of the line behind why the tomb was empty. And so their, their perception was limited to sight. Um, John has uh, some 40 plus references to seeing or to perception, and they all typically uh, revolve around this idea of understanding. So if you're having a conversation with a friend and you said, yeah, I, I backed my truck into a mailbox, and you see the dent and you say, oh, I see, you perceive it, you see it, you see the physical evidence of it, but then you also perceive the understanding, like, why do you have that dent in your truck? Does that make sense? So, like you're perceiving, there's a, there's a grander understanding that lies behind what's going on. And so, uh, there's no response then without this this perception, right? There's no response without this perception. So, God is is communicating something to us, even this morning, about who He is in this text. And we said the gospel always calls for response, but we're perceiving elements of it. And then response comes out of that. If Mary had continued to think that the gardener was talking to her, for instance, if Mary had continued to think that the gardener was talking to her, she would have never cried out, I have seen the Lord. She would have never cried out that because she, because she would have never known. She would have never fully perceived what had happened. And that was part of God revealing himself to her. So practically, practically, what does this look like? The Bible says that God is actively revealing himself to Generally to us in creation. So we can step outside and we can see uh, we can see God at work in creation, right? He's generally revealing to himself. But we have something more sure than that, God's word. God is actively revealing himself specifically to us in his word. Specifically, he is revealing himself to us in scripture. So working in conjunction with the spirit of Christ, uh, scripture is illumined to us. This truth is illumined to us, and it drives it deep into our heart. Consider what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 4, verse 6. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Okay, so one one, one last consideration for us this morning. And Luke, Luke records this this event post-resurrection. Uh, Luke records this event where there are two guys walking on the road. This is after Jesus has been raised. There are two guys walking on what they call the Emmaus road. I mean, they have this encounter with Jesus. But much like Mary in our text this morning, they don't get it. They don't know who that is. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? What? When, and it, and it, so he shows up and he starts like asking them questions, like, "What's going on? Like, what are you guys talking about?" Because they're talking about Jesus being crucified. And obviously, this is a big deal because we live uh, in a relatively small subsection of 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 Palestine around Jerusalem where 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 everyone, if Jesus had been crucified and made as many waves as he did throughout the course of his life, him being crucified would have been a big deal. So these guys are talking, they're like, are you serious? You haven't heard what's going on? And no, they're talking to Jesus. They don't know that. They're talking to Jesus. And and so he said, okay, well tell me what's going on. So they they unpack it for him. They tell him about all of these events. And then Jesus like and Luke reports Jesus saying to them, like, "Hey guys, like, you don't get this yet. Like, you don't understand what's going on." And so he sits them down and he he has this long conversation with them and reveals the scripture to them. He opens their eyes to understand that Jesus was fulfilling scripture for them. And so they're they're like moving on. It's getting late. And they're like they're like, "Well, why do not you come and stay with us?" And so they sit down to eat. And then Luke says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So it was only at that point that they saw Jesus and they perceived who he was. They understood that he had said, what he had said to them about Jesus fulfilling the scriptures was was also like really present reality in the world. He was standing right before them. Luke 24, 32, uh, Luke records this. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us. So the spirit of Christ, as he opened up the scripture in conjunction with the word of God, brought them understanding, brought them perception to the events that they had were having trouble, uh, that they were totally unaware of. And this is similar to our own experience because if you, if you feel, if you know Christ, right? I'm gonna be careful about using the word feel. But if you know Christ, and if you've if you have sensed him, if you have, if the gospel has been imparted to you and you know, and you and you and you sense in your in your very soul, your heart burns in the same way that the, the that these gentlemen, their hearts burn. When we counted the risen Christ in the scripture and when that's illumined to us by the spirit of Christ, our hearts burn. Our affections are stirred when we see, when we perceive that we were, like Paul says in Ephesians, dead in our transgressions of sin. But, but even as we looked at it a couple weeks ago in John chapter 11, that when Jesus called out to Lazarus, come forth, we have experienced that very same thing and our hearts burn. When we step out of this endless pursuit of seeking to justify ourselves by doing stuff, by doing things, and we recognize that we are freed from having to do things in order to experience Jesus Christ and to experience eternal life. We realize that Jesus did it for us. He's defeated sin and death, and he's making us brothers and sisters and partakers of the resurrection from the dead. No longer do we have to strive, we can cease striving, and we can rest, and we can trust in the person and work of Jesus. Yes. So in conclusion this morning, Jesus resolves these tensions for us. Jesus resolves these tensions that we see leading all the way up in Scripture to this passage. Our confusion to our understanding, our clinging to our sinness, our 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 orphan our orphanage to adoption our unawareness to perception. We announce together, I have seen the Lord as those who have clearly perceived the person the work of Jesus Christ and the interweaving of His story into our own. If you're here this morning and you're wondering what this is all about, that's okay. Um, and your heart is stirred but you're not quite sure where you stand and what's going on, we'd like to talk to you. Like Mark or I, myself, um, the person you came with, we'd like to talk to you. There's details, some of can confusing, of was can convoluted in our minds. Or, but if you hear the, the if you hear Christ calling out to you this morning, if you hear your name, not audibly, but if you're if you're if your spirit is stirred, again your being here this morning isn't an accident. God has directed you here, probably actually, because of who he is, because he is communicating something about his nature to us. I believe that I'm a call. We trust, we believe that no longer there is anything that we must do in order to be saved, in order to be set apart, in order to experience Jesus Christ. There's nothing except to rely on the power of the gospel, to rely on the fact that he came, that he died, that his blood was shed, that he lived a, purchase a perfect life in order that we might stand before a holy God justified. Let's pray together. Here.